Hi, friends. Welcome back. <laughs> On that note. Here we are. Are we really starting right now? Yes, we are starting right now. Oh, okay. Hi, everybody. Hi. What you guys get to miss is like you miss our intro to the intro. It's very exciting. It's like literally 49 minutes in, we're like, let's do the intro. <laughs> Mess. Anyway, what a week. Jinx. <laughs> um, kicked it off with Allison Roman's amazing podcast. Um, and she's been chatting us up and, and supporting us on social media all week, which we really appreciate. Yeah, that was like a really great episode. And the response has been great. We got so many questions and comments and reviews. So guys, thank you so much for listening to the Non-Traditional Podcast. Welcome new friends. Yeah. Welcome to the party. Oh, wildfire. The theme song dropped on Monday. Boo, 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 boo. <laughs> and uh, the music video dropped on Wednesday. So I know my girl Anastasia is going to put it in the show notes, right? Right? Yes. Right? Yes. Right. Everything's going to be in the show notes. If you so, we started this new um, little segment on our Instagram um, channel called Podcast Pro Tips. So each week, I pick something that maybe you might not know about podcasts, or maybe you've just been using the Apple Podcast app, but you want to delve more into nerdy podcastdom, which that's my job. Yep. She's a nerd. So I thought I was a nerd. Mm-mm. I'm regular compared to you. <laughs> uh, I love nerdy stuff, but I do talk about show notes. So you can go back to our Instagram and look at what I wrote about show notes. Um, we leave all our information there. You can click onto our social media links. Um, if we talk about anything, the episode, I usually have a link down there for it. So you don't have to go look for it on the internet. You can just go to the show notes, click on the link and go. And, and, you looked at the show notes for Allison's episode. I almost got out of my chair. I was dying. You might have got a little surprise. Oh, speaking of a little surprises, now it's the big reveal of, you know, my wig moment. You know, I wear wigs and now you know why. Okay, so check out Wildfire Music Video to see why. Lots of uh, fun stuff in there. All filmed in quarantine on my iPhone 7 Plus that at one point had no sound. So try syncing lyrics without sound. She did it, y'all. She made a music video. I don't know. It kind of reminded me back of like the old school days of MTV, you know? Yeah, I was definitely a Total Request Live girl. Come on, TRL. But um, yeah, so, you know, always check out our show notes. We'll have all the information for you down there. Jen, what else did you do this week? How's this week been? Um, this week was busy and it's still going. Um, I was a guest on Deep Dive with Dale Seaver on Wednesday night. Um, and I debuted an acoustic version of Wildfire. So that was Estevalu's premiere performance. Um, and yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty fun, fun, fun for the sun in the USA. What about you? Well, after, uh, Jen dragged me last week, I don't know if I should say anything, you know? <laughs> what, did, what did I drag you? What you had did? I don't have a job, so how can I be busy? How you get fired on your day off, Craig? Guys, you can be busy without having a job, okay? Don't let Jen talk you down. You can right. be busy. If quarantine has taught us anything, it's that we can be busy. Luckily, I have the support of Sarah, who came to my defense, as long as, as well as some other people. A lot of people came to my defense, and I am very grateful for all your love and support. Send them to my DMs. 
So speaking of DMs, we got some questions this week from, and I have to say, Charlotte, I think you're a new super fan. Charlotte, let me tell you a little something. Can I just, I have to shout this out. The reason that I know Charlotte is because we were in Girl Scouts together. Get out. <laughs> and a little fun fact is um, I was a Girl Scout until I graduated high school. So I was very cool. I can tell. <laughs> But no, Charlotte had the question. So if there was like a super fan friend of the pod, it would be Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be Charlotte. yeah. And actually for Charlotte, we have a Facebook group now. Ooh-hoo. So if Instagram is not your thing, if Twitter is not your thing, we now have a private Facebook group for friends of the non-traditional pod. And it's called Friends of Non-Traditional. I will leave the link in the show notes. You can go on there. You can join. You can find out when Esabalu is going to be playing live next. Hey, hey. Hopefully sometime before 2021, but okay. Um, <laughs> but you, all the information you need, you can talk to each other. You can interact. We want it to be like a nice, safe place where we can talk about all non-traditional things and inspire each other and encourage each other because I feel like that's what we need right now the most. Support and encouragement. I love it. I'm so excited that it exists. We're going to answer some of Charlotte's questions, which I loved. And one of them is, Jen, what is your favorite podcast? Did she say favorite podcast or favorite podcasts? Because I have so many. She did. She did plural. It was plural. Podcasts. Because I can't pick one. I am a huge fan of podcasts. So my favorite favorite is The Black Guy Who Tips. They're a husband and wife couple in North Carolina, and their episodes are like two and three hours long. So, you know, buckle in. You got to be a podcast fan. But they are hilarious, and they do games um, like Guess the Race and Blanking with Black People. I will not I will not curse on the show. Um, so that's my number one. Number two is a new one for me, Emma's Bunker. It's a comedian, Emma Willman. She's hilarious. She has uh, some stuff on Netflix and I saw her in there and was like, I need to know more about her. And then number three is going to be Keep It, which is uh, three LA writers. Um, They're on Crooked Media, which is like, if you guys listen to like Pod Save America and all that good stuff, they're on the same network, but they kind of just like talk about pop culture and things like that. And then they have a Keep It at the end, which is like, what do we want to like, leave behind for the last week or whatever that's happening it's so good check them out nice nice that's a good group i actually have listened to a bit of keep it as well but um i i love a good tech podcast like i mean i think we're we're coming to the knowledge now that anastasia is a huge nerd um for people who do not know i mean i've said before i i do work in the film and television industry but what I studied in school was computer science engineering. So using that degree, you know, using that degree. But I really love tech podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts on the Twit Network. That's MacBreak Weekly, This Week in Tech. I really love a lot of tech podcasts. And again, I'm just such a huge fan of the OG, This American Life. Like I, that was the first podcast I was ever introduced to. It is one of the only podcasts that can make me cry on the train. Um, they tell really great stories. And if I ever get to meet Ira Glass, like that might be it. Like that would just be, <laughs> that would just be the end. Um, My favorite episode was the uh, Sarah Bareilles and uh, Leslie Hunt Jr. when they wrote a song together. Wow. 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 Yeah. If you guys have not checked out that song, please go. And the video to go with it. It's just so incredible. 
Yeah. So um, those are a few of my favorite podcasts to listen to, which might bring us to our guest for episode four. It was such a great episode. We really love Walt. I feel like we know him now. (laughs) He just made us feel so welcome that whole time, even though he was a guest on our show. (laughs) Right. And so Walt Mossberg is currently retired. It's something that's really interesting because part of our or mission on non-traditional is not only to talk to people who are in the middle of their successful careers or anything, but also people who have had successful careers and might not be doing that anymore, but we can also learn from their experiences. So Walt Mossberg is a former Wall Street Journal journalist. He left the Wall Street Journal to start his own publication called Recode and also created some of the most widely attended hugely popular tech conferences where he interviewed people like Steve Jobs, Bill Gates. It was definitely the place to be seen and, you know, release a product, for example. Um, It was called the D Conference at the time when he started it. You know, he's a legend and being able to interview him was such a joy for me, who's like a tech nerd. And here I am speaking to what is tech royalty? It was definitely a moment. It was a moment for me. Yeah, we'll definitely get into a little bit more about his episode at the end, but I feel the same. I am not as much of a nerd as you, but I do consider myself fairly tech savvy. And it was great to just get a really humble opinion on what it means to be a tech reviewer, be a journalist, and how that's evolved over several years. Hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the non-traditional podcast. What is your earliest memory of what you wanted to do when you grew up? I always wanted to be a journalist. I didn't have any um, moments of doubt about that. And my earliest memory of wanting to be a journalist was high school. It just uh, took hold of me. And not only did I want to be a journalist, but in particular, I wanted to be a journalist in Washington and writing for an influential newspaper in Washington. And that's what I wound up being able to do. I was very lucky. But in high school, I had no idea how to how to go about, you know, getting getting from here to there, but high school. So then how did it start then since you didn't know how to get there, but what did you, what were, you, were your first steps? Did you go to a four-year college? Well, no, my, actually my first step uh, was a work-related step. Um, I grew up in just outside of Providence, Rhode Island, and the newspaper there uh, at the time was a um, very high-quality newspaper. Obviously, Rhode Island is small. The newspaper had maybe a 250,000 circulation in those days. It's way lower now, like all local papers are. But it uh, it had won, uh, I want to say, four or five Pulitzer Prizes oh, nice. by then, which is amazing for yeah. a paper of that size. And so it was a high-quality place. And they decided they would run columns written by students at 50 different high schools in their metro area. Right. And uh, the English department at every school would pick who got to write the column. And in my high school, they picked me. So I wrote this column. And every week I would get on a bus because I lived outside of the city. uh, And I would uh, take the bus downtown and turn in my column. 
to a woman who was one of the editors. And I would sit with her while she would go over the column and talk to me about what I did right, what I did wrong, whatever. And I just got intoxicated by being in the newspaper building and seeing the editing process. And she happened to be a nice kind of mentoring kind of person. And all of that put together uh, just made up my mind. So, I mean, you know, you are, I want to say some of the the lucky ones, what you wanted to do is what you ended up doing in your career. If we fast forward, you move from Rhode Island and then you start working um, in your dream job, basically at the Wall Street Journal, correct? Yes. Well, there's a lot of, I mean, I went to college and I went to grad school right? Uh, and, I, and I did a bunch of other things, but Yes, you're right. If we fast forward, I'm at the Wall Street Journal. I want to go to Washington. I had never, our family had never read the Wall Street Journal, but I had learned at journalism school at Columbia that uh, the Wall Street Journal was a highly regarded newspaper. Right. Uh, so when they offered me a job, I, uh, the faculty at the, at the grad school strongly advised me to take it. Uh, and, but the only hitch was they wouldn't, send me immediately to Washington. So my new wife, we had just gotten married a couple few months before, uh, and I set out for Detroit, where she also started her career in special education. We had a five-person bureau in Detroit. Five people? Five people in Detroit. And why did the Wall Street Journal have five people stationed there? Because the car industry was the, uh. by far the most important industry in the country. Things that happened in the car industry affected the whole economy. Right. And it was a little bit like tech now. And when was this? Way. This was in 1970, so pretty ancient. We, we spent three and a half years in Detroit. I covered labor. I covered uh, two strikes. And then they, trans- they, they had promised that if I did well in Detroit, they'd move me to Washington. So in 1973, they moved me right at the end of, like in December, right around Christmas, yeah. 1973, they moved me to Washington where they had a labor beat uh, to cover organized labor and uh, and the uh, federal, uh, the, you know, Department of Labor and regulations on labor and all that kind of stuff. Right. And uh I didn't, that's where I stayed. I stayed in Washington the rest of my uh, career. So, I mean, anyone who knows you hearing this will probably think, wait, Walt reported on labor and politics because that's not what you're known for. You are known for being a technology reporter and commentator. How do you go from A to B? You are pretty much anyone looking at your career at this point, you started out, you wanted to be a journalist, you work for the Wall Street Journal in Washington, D.C., covering politics and labor. How does that become, okay, let me change everything and go do this other thing that nobody knows you for? That's a terrific question. Um, so what happened was uh, I spent 18 years, cover- I, I didn't only cover labor, I covered the environment, I covered energy, I covered the Pentagon, I covered economics, I covered the State Department, I covered a whole bunch of things. but Somewhere along the way, 
two things happened. One was I became very interested in computers as a hobby, which was bizarre because I had no science, you know, background. I took, I took the minimum science <laughs> I could take in college. Uh, I wasn't interested in technology or computers at all, but I became interested in it as a hobby, just as it was kind of becoming a thing. And um, I would save up money and buy these personal computers, a little better one, and then a little better one as I got a little more money and learn about them. I learned a little bit about programming and that kind of stuff. Yeah, But that was a hobby. Um, so that was the first thing. The first thing was I got interested in that. <clears throat> the second thing was I realized that I had a little bit of an entrepreneurial streak, that I was willing to take risks and try new things. And so in 1990, when I was the chief national security correspondent for the paper, and I was basically covering the from the U.S. side. I wasn't living overseas. I was still in Washington, but I was covering the collapse of communism, the end of the Cold War. And I went to the head editor of the paper in New York, and I said, I, I want to do this computer technology column, but I want to do it in uh, an upside down way from the way every other newspaper is doing it. And he said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, er every paper, the columnist is a geek and they are writing for readers who are geeks. And so it's all, the, and it's filled with jargon. And the, ho the whole idea is if you want to use computers, you have to become have to be a techie. A mm -hmm. And I said, I want to, do just the opposite. I want to write for mainstream, regular people, smart people who know a lot about film or music or running a travel agency or whatever it is. They Maybe they're a doctor, whatever they are. They don't care about being a techie. They never want to be a techie. They don't care about what's inside the computer. Mm -hmm. They just want to learn what computer to buy. Why is it good? Why is it bad? How to use it? How to do different things on it? And that was my idea. He loved the idea, but he said, I can't change reporters on this Cold War thing, just as I think we're entering sort of the end stage of it. So he said, you can do this next year. And he kept his word. And in 1991, I started my tech column. And people, I have to tell you, when you take a risk and you make a career change, people don't understand it all the time. Right. People in Washington, including the Secretary of State at the time, wow. started asking a lot of questions about whether I had been demoted uh, to this job and because they thought it was unimportant and they didn't understand it. Right. And he, the Secretary of State actually assigned staff people to find out why I was demoted. Oh, wow. And... <laughs> and I'd be walking around the streets and meet people, uh, other reporters or people from the government, and they'd ask me if I was okay, oh. uh, as, it, as if I'd been really ill or something. And I'd try to explain that this was my choice and something I really wanted to do, but they didn't get computers either This in 1991. That changed pretty quickly. I would say two or three months there uh, in Washington, which is a government politics policy town. They uh, people were people were baffled. Wow. Now, how do you how do you find the the fine line between honesty and creativity when writing a, a 
like feedback on and reviews. Like, it seems like we're in a day and age when there's only hot takes. Those are the only ones that are heard out, right? You know, what if you love a product and, and you're worried about, I mean, you're the godfather of tech reviews, so you might not be worried about this right now. But, you know, I think it's something where people kind of want to stand out. So they may say they hate a product or they love it and it's the perfect product. And that might not necessarily be the truth when the actual review could just lie in, you know, the pros and cons of a, of a product. Like, how do you find that fine line and how do you toe that line? It's a great question, Jen. Luckily, I did not have to any pressure, zero pressure from my editors or anyone to do hot takes. There was no internet mm. uh, or web in 1991. Uh, as soon as the web got going later in the 90s, I jumped on it, but I didn't change my style. I wrote once a week, and that helped on a schedule. People knew which day it was coming out. It came out in print at the same time it came out on the web. The only difference on the web was I did these very crude videos, uh, not not unlike the one we're, we're doing now. <laughs> even though the audio i mean this is actually better but uh i look i i just sat in front of these much worse webcams than we all have right at yeah. the moment and i tried to do a video but um the the your question is 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 fantastic i was honest i was always honest i didn't care if the company that made the product liked the review or not. And some of them pulled their ads out of the Wall Street Journal because of me. Mm. Some of them tried to get me fired. Um, I learned this later because my editor didn't want to tell me about it. Didn't want to stress um, you out. <laughs> and, and, um, and most of my reviews actually were kind of in a gray area. There were, you know, it was a real minority of products that I thought were so fantastic that I would give them a kind of a rave review or so terrible that I would just spend the column, you know, dunking on the whole <laughs> column and say, don't buy this. It's terrible, whatever. Right. And um, most of the other ones, even if I said, Hey, this is a good product. I recommend you buy it. Um, but be aware that it has these various downsides. They, that was the, you know, it was always kind of in in the gray area or this is a this is a good product but it's expensive so make sure you need it right whatever those were the kinds of things i do so the answer to your question is it was a different time and really by the time the web came along and a lot of people came along they had much more pressure to do hot hot takes or hot takes, yeah. to to secretly quietly take payments or free products i never did any of that and mm. uh so i it was really a kind of a combination of uh, by the time the web came around of new technology but old old school standards you mentioned um earlier about your entrepreneurial streak a little bit and that takes me to the conferences that you right. co-founded or co-created. Again, it seems in you never sit still a little bit. So you start somewhere, you find another love, you find another push and you pivot into tech journalism. And then what makes you go, I should start a conference and interview people. Like what takes you to that next step? 
again, entrepreneurialism. I had, you know, become very pretty well known in tech and among the readers of the journal. And um, so I had some clout with the journal and um, I got to know, uh, and in fact, I mentored a brilliant, brilliant uh, journalist and close friend of mine, Kara Swisher. And she also had a column at the journal, uh, a little different. It was also a tech column, but it was reviews. It was more about the business and culture of the Silicon Valley. And we got to be friends and we would see each other at all the different tech conferences. And what really got us to do the conference business was we thought all the conferences sucked. <laughs> we, we, we had, we both have considerable egos and we thought these, these uh, uh, producers of the conferences are letting these tech CEOs just, you know, basically give sales pitches for their stuff and we can do a much better job. Why don't we, why don't we do journalistic interviews on stage uh, without telling the person any of the questions and, um, and without allowing them to use slides? That was one of our big rules. Nobody, including, by the way, Bill Gates, who owned PowerPoint and actually said to me, <laughs> I own PowerPoint. Can I use, what can I use it? And, and Steve Jobs, who, uh, if you've ever seen a video of any of his product introductions, it's all slides. Right. We really had an interview on stage and we had to convince the journal, let us do it. But I had some clout and Kara by then had some clout and they let us do it. And we actually started a division inside the company that owned the journal, a very small division to do these conferences. And that started in 2003. Call It was called All Things Digital. And the conferences were known as the D conferences. And we had really the head of every technology company and media company that you can think of over the years that we did it. And do you want to know what our biggest problem was? What? Finding women. Mm. Finding women to be on stage every single year we were determined to put uh, as many women on stage as we could. We right. generally got one out of maybe 14 speakers. Right. And, right. and we ran through every single woman that ever ran a tech company. And some that were, some that were not CEOs, even though we kind of had our own rule uh, that except for politicians, we had a rule that we would only have CEOs, but we broke that rule. I mean, we made a decision to break that rule so that right. we could have more women, but we still only, I mean, even in a good year, we might have three. Right. Well, hopefully that is changing for the better. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. Not, not nearly as fast as it should. But right. Yes. Yeah. As, as everything goes. Now well, when creating your own path, like you have, uh, things can be pretty unpredictable. And I think there's a lot of variables. That's part of the reason that you're here today. You know, we are looking at your career and really amazed um, and wanting to know how people can kind of do what you do. Is there a time when something that outwardly or maybe even inwardly for yourself, you considered a failure that other people would consider a failure, almost similar to your demotion, quote unquote, <laughs> Um, that you are so glad happened because it led you to where you are today? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Talk about it. This was before I made the switch to technology. I spent, I was asked 
to go into management uh, to become the deputy Washington bureau chief. We had about I had about fifty people reporting to me, and um, I was miserable. I wasn't writing. My byline disappeared from the paper, and that in turn, I think, made me not a very good uh, boss. Um, I became a boss again many years later, and I was much better at it. But uh, in the 80s, when this happened, uh, I wasn't a very good boss. And so I was a failure at it, and I went back to being a reporter. And I learned, but I learned a ton about people and about uh, different styles of working that these 50 people had and uh, about how to treat people and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Plus, the journal at the time was so fabulously, you know, rolling in money, <laughs> all the all the most newspapers were, mm-hmm. that um, they said, okay, you can go back and be a reporter. You have to technically remain a member of management because they didn't want me to go back in the union. If you do that, we'll let you keep the, I think it was twenty or $30,000 extra per year that they had given me to go into management. So I needed the money. So I kept the money and didn't go back in the union, uh, although I continued to support the union on the side secretly. And um, I didn't have, I, I wasn't a manager in the sense that I managed anything. I was just classified as being in management. But that, so that was a failure and it did teach me. Um, I have to say uh, the conferences did not fail. I mean, individual interviews went badly occasionally, but um, the conferences were very successful. And five years into the conferences, they let us start our own website, separate from any property of the Wall Street Journal, Mm. in fact, competing with the Wall Street Journal. And, And the conferences and the website and my column all ran until we left the Wall Street Journal in 2013. Wow, incredible. Looking to sort of the present and the future, I mean, when you started out, like you said, we, it, it was a different time. It was a different world. For someone coming in now who maybe wants to be a journalist, there's so many different avenues. Like before, you know, you could say New York Times, Wall Street Journal. I don't know. Did the LA Times exist? Like there were like yeah. big. Yeah, yeah. No, the LA Times, the Washington Post, those were the four. Yeah, like the big. Like newspapers. There were also right. great magazines. And of course, there was the network news and, you know, that they were cable news had started. But there was a pretty small group at the top of the pyramid. Yeah. That you could work for and say, oh, I'm at the top. Now the playing field is so, you know, large. You could work at The Verge. You could, um, you know, work for the Wall Street Journal. You could start your own blog. You could work for something like the information that's like, you know, you have to pay for um, yeah. to, get, to get in. But what filled with filled with ex Wall Street Journal people, by the way, and Ooh. started by an ex Wall Street <laughs> Journal person. Wow. Well, there we go. But so what would you say for someone coming up now who says, hey, I want to be a journalist? What to do? So here's what I'd say. I, I would say it's a wonderful field. It's a noble field. Don't do it unless you're prepared to be honest, to take a lot of crap. Don't do it unless you're prepared to be ethical. And don't do it unless you're prepared to not make any money or very much money. 
Even when I started, my starting pay at the Wall Street Journal was $9,000 a year, a year. And even if you account for inflation, it was probably $35,000 in today's dollars or something. Uh, It was not very much money. And uh, now it's much worse. Most uh, uh, news organizations are struggling. And of course, the pandemic is a particular problem right now because readership is way up. Viewership is way up. Listenership on podcasts, oddly, is not way up. It's down. No more commutes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And and people are are furloughing journalists or laying them off. So it's a tough time, but it was a tough time before the pandemic. And um, so I think you, I, I, my advice would be, it's super important to the democracy and the republic that we have, to the extent we still have it. Uh, it's super important people having the information they need, whether it's the health information now or you know, political information or anything, particularly when you have a president who's a liar. And it's, uh, it's, it's critical, but it's very insecure and it doesn't pay very much money. And so that's the kind of, I mean, that is the advice. I've been giving advice to students, and college students, high school students for years, speaking at colleges, speaking, speaking at, at frankly, at high schools uh, when asked. I never turned down a, a school uh, invitation or, or a student invitation for a meeting. I actually wanted to ask you about that because one thing Anastasia and I were really surprised with was your speedy responsiveness to all of our communication. And uh, do you think that that's common in the tech world? Or do you think that people kind of get caught up in their ego? You know, at the end of the day, we're unknown. You didn't necessarily have to give us the time of day. Do you think that attributes to your success, the way that you um, are kind of a philanthropist in that way? We are giving back to students and colleagues and making time to use the knowledge and the creativity that you have to give back to people like us. So you're asking me to praise myself? I, 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 don't, <laughs> I don't exactly. Do you feel like that's common? Like, do you think somebody in your position, you have all of this acclaim? Right? I wouldn't have. Um, well, first of all, I wouldn't have been as speedy except that I'm retired. You know, I retired yeah, yeah, a couple yeah. of years ago. Yeah. And it's not that I have nothing to do. I'm very involved with a thing called the News Literacy Project, right. which I could explain if you want. But uh, it's not that I have nothing to do, but um, I have less to do than if I had a full-time job. Yeah, yeah. But I will always, if I see that there's a new venture like yours, why not? I mean, you know, I had plenty of mentors. Not that I'm a mentor to you guys, but I mean, I had a lot of help. You're a secret mentor. <laughs> I took time all through my career to mentor people. And uh, after I retired, won uh, a an award for mentoring journalists uh, that I didn't even know existed. And uh, that's my favorite. I've gotten a whole bunch of awards, a lot of which are sort of semi, you know, meaningless, but I, 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 that's my favorite award. Uh, And there was another question uh, that I. Oh, well, tell us about the literacy program. Oh, literacy program. So um, 12 years ago, a reporter for the LA times who worked in their Washington bureau and who had won the Pulitzer prize uh, left the LA times because uh, their ownership changed and they, they had a terrible owner and 
he left. And he happened to give a talk at his daughter's middle school. And he realized that the kids did not have a good sense of what was true and what was not true in terms of what they saw online. Uh, And they did not understand journalism at all. And so he started a thing called the News Literacy Project. It was not uh, like some of these things started immediately after Trump was elected. It was going for a long, long time Mm -hmm. before that. And he his initial uh, way of operating was to operate in a limited number of cities, New York, Chicago, D.C., I think Houston. And he would have journalists come into classrooms and talk about uh, journalism and talk about fact versus fiction and talk about ethics. And and that was my first contact with them. They called me out of the blue and asked me if I would do this at a high school in the suburbs here in D.C. And I did that. And these were all very smart kids from well-off families. And I was astonished at how little they understood. So eventually I went on the board. Uh, I'm still on the board. I'm on what's called the executive committee, which helps to run the organization. We're now uh, very fast growing. Uh, We're in all 50 states. We're in over 100 foreign countries. We have a digital curriculum on this uh, that we've had for four years now. And uh, we also bring teachers into news organizations uh, for for a day of professional development. They meet with the journalists. They learn from the journalists. The journalists learn from them. It's something I was involved in in the last couple of years I was working. Mm -hmm. But when I retired, I was able to get much more involved. And uh, it's a great, to me, it's a great thing. Right. That's incredible. That's really great. I always say, I mean, it's, uh, I say I always wanted to be in film and television, but my backup plan was always just to be Christian Amanpour. Like that was the dream. <laughs> if I couldn't be a film um, director, I would be Christian Amanpour, but luckily for me- Well, I- I'm sure you're a very good <laughs> film director, but I would, I would say that if someday, in the unlikely event you get tired of it, you should not be afraid <laughs> to, try, to try to not only be, but be better than Christian Amanpour. Amanpour. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you are, uh, you know, and that's what I mean by being uh, entrepreneurial. I mean, right. you know, even after Karen and I started the conferences, we started a website, then we left the journal, we started an entire company, kept doing conferences and websites. Um, uh, later in life, as I said, I started a podcast. I mean, I, there's all kinds of things you don't know that you can do that you should think about. And Jen, what's your plan B? <laughs> oh, Lord. I'm probably at plan K by now. <laughs> All right. Well, what's your plan L? <laughs> Lord Jesus. Who even knows? Oh, my goodness. I've had so many jobs. I sing all the time. <laughs> um, but I think my next move is to 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 actually go on a tour singing background. So like, if you know anybody who's looking. <laughs> yeah, I'm very likely to know somebody who's looking for that. But if I do, okay, I will, I will have them get right in touch with you. Thank you. I appreciate you. I'm sure you're good. Um, <laughs> oh, she is. She is. 
<laughs> he is. <laughs> maybe, um, maybe the two of you could have the first uh, uh, news show with uh, singing in it. Ooh. We do it together. I was just saying today, our friend should have like a cooking show where she sings back up. Yeah, we're taking the idea. Maybe we can combine them. Just a yeah, we're just going to run with all our, our <laughs> That's ideas. right. Be creative, guys. <laughs> One more question. Go for it. I want to know, and we've been asking all of our guests this as well, uh, what abundance means to you. You know, like, is it the latest technology? Is it a beach house in Maui? Is it your health and wellness? Like, what does a holy abundant life look like to Walt? Well, I feel like I've already had what for me personally has been a very satisfying career. Um, I'm still interested in technology. I still actually talk to technology people, including some of the CEOs whose names you might have heard of, um, even though I'm not writing. So I'm still interested in that and I'm active on social media, but uh, I'm very interested in my family. I always tried to be and was, but obviously when you get old and you're retired and I'm now a grandfather and uh, I have a beautiful granddaughter and I have a grandson due in a week. (gasps) And so congrats. (laughs) Thanks. Um, And so uh, all of that is, is very consuming for me. Um, My wife and I have been married 50 years, 5-0. Goodness. And she yes. still she still tolerates me and talks to me most of the time. <laughs> and uh, and you know before the pandemic we traveled a lot, you know, tried to do different things even locally here, so uh you know like the theater and other things. So So you're living in abundance right now is what you're trying to tell us. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think health and wellness though creeps up on you as you get older and even if we weren't in a pandemic, but especially in the pandemic, you think a lot more about health and wellness and your legacy and not just money, not just your professional legacy, but what kind of uh, a legacy you're leaving for your kids and your grandkids and uh that's probably a, the answer you would get from nine out of 10 people my age, but it's the best I have. So I love it. Every, and everybody gives a different answer and it gives us a really good insight onto who you are. And um, as expected, profound and wonderful. <laughs> so thank you so much. Thank you so much, Walt, for being on the non-traditional podcast. Well, thank you too. And and can I just say, I wish you all the best with the podcast. Oh, thank you. This has been really, really lovely to meet both of you. you. Take care. Yay. That was such a great episode. We love Walt. We really love Walt. Like it just gives us warm feelings. I always say it's like, he's our honorary, like grandfather. He's giving us all his wisdom. (laughs) Yeah. And we need to check in on him because maybe by this time his new grandchild will be born. Definitely. So, of course, you might know already, but we interviewed Walt in April. A lot of our interviews were done in kind of like April, May. Um, So he definitely has a second grandchild now, and we should totally check in on him and see how it's doing. One thing I really loved about this interview was um, just how willing and gracious he was to reach out to young folks um, looking for mentorship. That's something that is super important to me just because it's something that a lot of us don't get when we're younger. And if we do, it's invaluable. Um, so the fact that he's willing to do things like that and the news literacy program is just incredible. 
Yeah, it's like, it's really great. And I feel even at our age, it, it encourages me to, if there's someone coming up behind me, for example, to reach out to them, to mentor them up and introduce them to whatever career it is that I'm doing. Um, something he also talked a lot about was entrepreneurship, which is something that I'm only just getting exposed to now. I've always been someone who's worked for someone else, but making this podcast, you know, it starts as a fun little thing that we can do during quarantine. And then you start seriously thinking of, wait a second, what if this could be it? Like this could be a job. It's something that we can take on to the future. So it's, it's definitely opened up a lot of introspective thought and like thinking about what non-traditional can hold and listening back to his episode was just that kick to be like take that leap you 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 might not realize that this little hobby you have could actually be a business yeah he was so supportive and so sweet and i i really loved um when he kind of went back and said people were checking in on him and thinking that he was demoted that story really took me down just because like sometimes you do have to take a couple steps back if you really know what you want to do and you want to change direction people might look at it as a step back but really if you have what you want in mind you can really just like change your trajectory by believing in yourself and um he was a big advocate for that i loved his stories and i'm so glad that we had him on yeah, I'm really glad we did. And guess what? So as you may all know, and you heard on the podcast that Walt is retired. But if you're listening to this on Monday, it just so happens to be the beginning of the Apple Developer Conference, which is fondly known as WWDC. Um, and Walt is coming out of retirement for a little bit. All he right. is going to be on The Verge's live stream of the keynote. He's going to be live blogging the keynote. He's just going to be in the chat. So if you want to, you know, get a little bit of Walt back in your life just for a little bit, head over to The Verge. It's TheVerge.com. I will leave a link in the show notes and it should be a fun time. I will be there and uh, it should be a really great time. Amazing. Yeah. Go check Walt out. He is the homie officially, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. So Before we head out, I do want to answer one more question from Charlotte because she gave us a lot of questions and we're going to answer them. Oh, (laughs) we're going to answer them all, Charlotte. Give us time. But Charlotte asks, do you have a mantra or quote that you return to for strength? Mm, mm, mm. Charlotte, come through, Char. Um, I absolutely have a mantra or quote. Um, This year is very, very special to me. 2020, I know a lot of us had big plans and, you know, vision. 2020 is the future. We see clearly. Um, I'm still holding true to that. I'm still getting a lot done and feeling good about it. You're a part of that, Anastasia. And my mantra at the beginning of this year was, my life is abundant in all ways. If you can see the mirror behind me, I have it written in lipstick. You probably can't because I'd have to zoom in, but it's written there. And um, I'm I'm going to tweak it a little bit because I've heard that I am statements are super powerful. Um, so I am changing it officially to I am abundant and always. But that's kind of why I ask that question every episode, because abundance is really important to me, what it means to people and um, how I can kind of use that to influence my own life. What about you? Um, this might be a little teaser to next week's episode, but my mantra that I keep, I, I actually have it inscribed on a ring that I wear every day and it's win 
Mm. which is an acronym for what's important now. And every day when I find myself wandering, when I find myself not concentrating, I always come back to win. What's important now? And it could be anything. What's important now might be I need to have lunch right now. Mm -hmm. What's important now might be I'm sleepy and I have to go to bed. So it can be a small thing or it could be a big project. And if I'm on a big project, I try to always come back to what is important now in this moment, not distract myself with COVID outside or, you know, issues or problems I might be having. I always just try and like bring it back center and it works every time. I tell you, it's, it's a very strong and powerful statement for me. And it always brings me back to center, which I love. I really love that. That just made me a little emotional. Stop. I love that. No, I, I think that um, one big part of abundance for me has been being present in this moment. Um, and so that kind of ties in with your mantra. I really love that. And I think uh, in the past, when I've had a lot of projects going on, I've been overwhelmed with stress and that's taken over and I can't even celebrate the successes. So I wouldn't have been able to celebrate launching a podcast or releasing new music because I would have just been worried about the outcome or what what's not happening and now i really am able maybe it's because we're inside all day but i am able to really sit in on it and enjoy the moment so hey i'm taking win too i'm putting that in my little tool belt teamwork makes the dream work thanks so much charlotte for the questions they were really awesome um if you have any questions for us anything at all just leave it in any of our social medias we're on twitter we're on facebook on Instagram. Um, So yeah, you can find us all over the webs. You know, you can even go to our website and contact us, send us an email. We'd love those too. Um, And subscribe to the newsletter. We do have a newsletter that we send out every Monday with a lot of fun stuff and I'm not going to spoil it. You have to sign up to find out the good, the good stuff. Ma'am. And before we leave, what are you up to this week? Anything fun and exciting? Um, Wow. Okay, I don't even know how we're just talking about this now. I'm going to Rhode Island next week. I'm sorry, what? I'm leaving New York for the first time since March. This is kind of crazy. What, what should I bring? What should I pack? <laughs> what? I'm sorry, I wasn't... Huh? We're packing swimsuit. We're going to sit in a very isolated beach. You know, it's. I'm only gone for three days, um, but it's just nice. It's just finally nice to get up of the city and even just the idea of getting out of the city has made my week so much lighter and just you know excited for a little mini vacation if you can even call it that but yeah i'm gonna be in rhode island next week this is betrayal Um, i love you new york i would never leave you ever right i will be sitting in this apartment um but i will be recording another podcast uh called the conversation with a friend, Marcus Johnson. Uh, and it's under the Crossing Party Lines organization, which is a nonprofit organization that tries to get people of differing views to chat. And we're gonna be discussing some things about the death of George Floyd and what that's meant to different groups of people. So uh, I'll let you guys know when that's live, but that's what I'm up to this week. And it's not quite as exciting as Rhode Island or escaping this city, but um, they're doing really important work over there. So I'll be sure to give you guys some details. Awesome. I can't wait to listen to that, even though you're cheating on me with some other person. I'm not hosting. I'm just a guest. Okay. Love you.
Guys, it's been another great week. Thank you so much for making us a part of your Monday morning or whenever it is you're listening to us. And we will see you next week. Bye, y'all. Non-Traditional is produced and edited by me, Anastasia. And our theme song is Wildfire by Esabalu. And you can find it wherever you purchase music. You can find us on Instagram at non, that's N-O-N-E, underscore traditional. And Twitter at TraditionalPod. Subscribe to our newsletter on our website and keep up to date on all things non-traditional. 